Week one is in the books. The Titans fall 16-15 to the Saints. Costly mistakes that they could not overcome. We're going to talk about why they lost and reasons for some positive spin going forward for the rest of this season. This is the Music City Audible. Let's get to it. We could find a million excuses. You know I mean? And all excuses are going to do is to make you feel better today. What we need to do is, is have accountability and some discipline uh, as we move forward to, you know, make today hard but hopefully tomorrow a little easier down the stretch as we move forward welcome everyone to another episode of the music city audible podcast presented by broadway sports media in partnership with 440 sports i'm justin graver with me as always justin Mello, and that voice you just heard was mike vrabel talking about not making excuses and i think we all know what he's referring to some pretty poor officiating in this game but man the titans offense was definitely more to blame than the refs in this one we're going to talk about why they lost and what they can do better going forward justin how's it going football's back aren't you so happy that it's back i mean how long did you enjoy that before you wished it was the off season all over again i mean the first play of the game was awesome amani hooker stripping Great. the return man on the first play of the game and it was pretty it was much all play of the game <laughs> it's pretty much all downhill from there uh, i wish <laughs> i could go back to sunday morning when i was just feeling the anticipation i can't believe we spent six <laughs> months getting excited for this team man the titans 2023 so far, I mean, it's one week, small sample size. Week one is a liar. We know all these things, but so far, they don't look different from the 2022 team. Let's talk about why they lost here. I think there is one reason that stands out above all others, and that is the play of starting quarterback Ryan Tannehill, arguably his worst game as a Titan. I will accept the argument that the Bengals' playoff loss was worse purely because of the stage, because of the moment, because of how important that game was in a playoff game. But at least he threw a touchdown in that game. I mean, he was really just atrocious on Sunday for the Titans. Yeah, there's no way uh, There's no way around it. He was terrible, right? He was. I do think it was probably the worst game he's played in the Titans uniform. And it's funny, as I saw that circulating Twitter, the same thought crossed my mind. I'm like, well, you know what? The stakes of that Bengals game make that one worse. And it was worse uh, because of the stage. And I think recency bias plays a little role, but... If you were stripping all that down and just analyzing performance throw for throw, this one was worse. He was he was really, really bad. And we're going to get into it. I, I can go on and on, but I'm going to turn it back to you before before I keep going. But there, there's no doubt. And look, Mike Vrabel said, it, we're never going to put it on one guy, yada, yada, yada. Well, you and I, we don't have to go in that locker room and, and coach the team and deliver a message. We can be honest, uh, yeah. or certainly maybe a little more honest than he was being there. Um, certainly feel like Ryan Tannehill cost them this game. And on Mon- in Monday's press conference, the clip I played was from Sunday. In Monday's press conference, Vrabel was a little more definitive that Tannehill needs yeah. to be better and that he doesn't know what was wrong with him. I don't know if it was something that happened early in the game that spooked him, but it felt like he was never comfortable in the pocket, even on plays where he did have time to throw. I mean, Derek Carr, 23 of 33 for 305 yards, one touchdown, one interception. It should have been 23 of 32 because one of those incompletions was uh, actually a fumble that was ruled an incompletion. We'll talk about that later. Ryan Tannehill, on the other hand, 16 of 34 for 198 yards, 5.8 yards per attempt. Of course, he threw three interceptions, zero touchdowns, took three sacks for 17 yards, which honestly felt like a win because there were a couple that he kind of scrambled up the middle and barely managed to gain a yard or two that make it a rush attempt instead of a sack. QBR of 10.3 and a passer rating of 28.8, his lowest passer rating 
in a game in his entire career, worse than his rookie week one performance, which was also not very good. But Tannehill just didn't have it dialed in at all on Sunday. And I think that, you know, the first interception was was a bad one. The one going downfield for Chris Moore, not only was it underthrown, it was thrown into double coverage with Chigakonkwa wide open on the underneath route, which was still deep down the field, but underneath where Chris Moore's route was running. And then the last interception, just throwing it up to Hopkins into like double or triple coverage on the sideline. None of them were good plays. And then the two big missed opportunities, the flea flicker play drawn up by Tim Kelly, got Chigakonkwa wide open, sprinting down the sideline, and Tannehill just rushed the throw and didn't put enough air under it and or laid it out too far, overthrows Chigakonkwa, and then coming back uh, a couple drives later, Tajay Spears running a wheel route out of the backfield, gets wide open down the left sideline, Tannehill throwing on the run out to his left. It's not an easy throw when you're throwing out on the run to, to your left, but he had time to set his feet and deliver a good ball instead of delivering one that traveled out of bounds at Tajay Spears, even making a diving attempt. He didn't hold onto the ball, but even if he had, he would have landed out of bounds and it wouldn't have counted anyway. So you, you combine all these things. Titans go 0 for 3 in the red zone. They have three, Tannehill throws three interceptions, overthrows two wide open touchdowns. You can't win in the NFL with that combination of, of performance. No, everything you just said, it's kind of amazing. They only lost by one point. Yeah, right? like if it's just one of those things goes their way and it, as bad as the three interceptions were and they were terrible and the second one to Chris Moore uh, you know that one was one of the more frustrating ones for me because of how wide open Chigakonkwo was un- right underneath as you said underneath I don't want to sell it short because you you made a good point declaring that underneath but it was still like a 30-35 yard gain right like he's he's essentially open for a, a massive explosive uh passing play and he's in a similar area like Tannehill's eyes if he sees Chris Moore in double coverage streaking down the field I don't know how he doesn't see a conquo on that play and doesn't deliver right. that throw and as bad as that one was and they all were terrible uh, I think the miss on the flea flicker as you said was the worst one because you set up the trick play you get the secondary to bite hard on it they come downhill there's a ton of open space behind them. A Conquo is 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 uh, streaking down the sideline, and I mean, e- e- like you know, it happens. I get it, but like every NFL quarterback makes that throw, right? Like right. seriously, I mean, no, like Chad Henney makes that throw, right? Like any NFL quarterback you put in that game makes that throw. A half decent college quarterback that may not have an NFL future makes that throw. He's wide open. There's no one in the vicinity, and it's like. He had time to set his feet. There was no rush. He just flat out missed it, right? It's yeah. it's LeBron James missing a layup on a breakaway. Like there's just yeah. no excuse for missing that throw. It's it's inex- it's inexcusable, inexplicable. So that that's the one that I think hurt the most out of all of them. That's the one. I mean, you can't defend any of them. I mean, the third interception to Hopkins, all you could do is laugh, right? At that point, you've already thrown two. You you think you put an emphasis on taking better care of the football. And he just tosses it up there, right? Like it, it wasn't a go ball or anything. Like it was, it wasn't the ball didn't travel that far from the line of scrimmage. He just throws it right at a an easy leaping cornerback, essentially. Like just an unbelievably terrible performance by their quarterback. They won't win games if he plays like that. They wouldn't win a game if he continues to play like that. In all honesty, because you talk about not winning games in this league, playing like that, it's. It's tough. It's it's inexcusable. There's no way to defend it. And sorry, the last point I wanted to make was you talked about like the 
guys getting open, him not making the throw. Mike Vrabel talked about that a little on Monday, right? It felt like it, it sounded to me like he felt like there were more opportunities to get Traylon Burks the football, right? Which they didn't. And not one target for Burks in the first half, couple targets in the second half. And hey, he dropped an easy third down complete or second down completion. I think it was Burks did. That's on him. He's got an, it was an easy catch. He should have made it. But um, yeah. Oh, and the pessimist, the pessimist in me wants to point out that I thought the pass protection was pretty good in this game for the yeah. Titans. I, I thought it was at least league average, if not above average. And I thought Tannehill escaped some clean pockets. In all honesty, I thought he saw ghosts on occasion. Yeah. And the, going back, sorry, the pessimist in me. What I want to say is there, and this is what's really concerning to me. There are games, I assure you, where <laughs> the pass protection is going to be worse than it was on Sunday. So if he played as poorly as he did, where the pass protection was pretty decent, this is not the final stinker you're going to see from Ryan Tannehill in this passing offense this season. Exactly. And I mean, you just look again at some of the advanced numbers, PFF grade 28th best out of 34 quarterbacks who saw action on Sunday. I mean, that includes guys like Jake Browning who got in the game at the end of the Bengals game. Uh, Gardner Minshew got in at the end of the Colts game. Um, Cooper Rush played when Dak Prescott and the Cowboys were blowing out the Giants and Tyrod Taylor played for the, uh, for the, for the Giants. So there were a, a lot of quarterbacks that played and Tannehill was according to pro football focus, the 28th best, only six quarterbacks worse than him. One of those was Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow had a horrible game. <laughs> we want to talk about something that has been brought up on Twitter and, and all over the place really is the rust factor of Tannehill not playing in the preseason outside of three handoffs to Derrick Henry. Talk about that with Joe Burrow too. Joe Burrow missed what over a month with a with a lower leg injury wasn't able to practice really until the week last week leading up to the game Joe Burrow was terrible for Ryan Tannehill I don't think you can say the same thing like I get the preseason argument but Tannehill was out there every single day in practice taking the majority of the first team reps he played uh, he had joint practices with the Vikings he, he played against the Titans defense like every single time that they practice. It's not like he just sat out for a month and didn't see any football action and then got in this game versus the Saints. So like, I don't even want to write that off. Like Mike Vrabel said, you can't make excuses. It makes you feel better in the moment, but it doesn't actually help you get better going forward. So I, I can't even attribute his performance yeah. to rust. I just think he was off. And like you said, if this is the Tannehill they get this season, the Titans aren't going to win a game. I don't think that's going to be the Tannehill they get this season. I do think he can bounce back. I don't know if he's going to be an elite quarterback. Like we talked about him being underrated on this podcast and on this YouTube channel. I feel stupid. I think he was appropriately rated. I want to take that video down. Off the <laughs> I will never take it down. It's our highest viewed video we've ever posted. Um, <laughs> but but the, the simple facts are he is 35 years old. Is this 35 year old Tannehill? Like there is a chance that. He is, you know, his body is just, he was injured a lot last season. He took some hits in this game. Like, maybe this is who Tannehill is at 35 years old. He, maybe he's not Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady that can play till he's 40. Like, we saw Ben Roethlisberger at the end of his career unable to throw the ball down the field. We saw the same similar thing with Drew Brees. Like, when quarterbacks get older, Peyton Manning, another one, of course, he had a big neck injury, but still, like... When these quarterbacks get older, they lose their arm strength. And I don't know if it was necessarily arm strength that was Tannehill's problem. It felt like he wasn't seeing the field, which you'd think is something that doesn't go away. And that is the one thing that gives me a little bit of encouragement going forward is that I didn't necessarily think physically he looked old. He just didn't 
see his receivers. You mentioned Traylon Burks having opportunities. Like if you watch the all 22 film, there are a handful of plays in the first half where Burks is running wide open and Tannehill either doesn't see him or he's seeing ghosts in the pocket and he's trying to step up and like in a collapsing pocket. But like you said, the pass protection overall was pretty good. Tannehill's just got to get the ball out. It felt like he was forcing it to DeAndre Hopkins and it just didn't go well. Even on the final offensive possession where the Titans ended up stalling with a fourth and six or or fourth and six or fourth and five, whatever it was, Tannehill tried to give the ball away like four times on that drive where it looked like the pass could be intercepted or Marshawn Lattimore gets his hands on another one and it falls incomplete. The Nick Westbrook Akine throw to the outside that barely gets past the diving, uh, can't remember if it was Alante Taylor or, or one of the other corners for New Orleans, but like these pass, nothing looked easy for the Titans offense and it wasn't easy. And I think Tannehill is largely to blame. We can wrap up the Tannehill discussion here. I'll give you one last thought on it and then we can move on to some other points. But I think it is the biggest storyline coming out of this game is like, when do the Titans look at Malik Willis or Will Levis? When is it too late? You don't want to waste time putting Tannehill out there if this is going to be a 500 or worse team with such an amazing quarterback draft class coming up. You kind of got to know if Malik Willis or Will Levis are guys you can count on. But at the same time, the Titans are never going to just accept that this season is a lost one. They're going to try to win every game and they still believe Tannehill gives them the best chance. So personally, I don't expect to see Tannehill bench this season. If he continues playing like this, I don't expect it to happen before before the bye. But man, it does feel a lot like 2019 when Marcus Mariota was in his final year as a starter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you said 500. If they're around 500, there's no chance in hell he gets benched because that likely right. means they're still in the playoff picture. But if they're 0-4, 1-5, 1-6, that's when, you know, that conversation becomes a very real conversation. And I'm glad you brought up the rust factor because I'm not buying that excuse either. Like, yeah, you can be rusty going out there in week one. I, I, I get that. That's probably a real thing. But there are a lot of good starting NFL quarterbacks that did not play in the preseason and did not look like the disaster that Ryan Tannehill was last year. Like even from even Joe Burrow, it's different where he missed a whole month with an injury. No, Tannehill was out there, as you said, daily against a very good Titans defense in practice. And if you remember going back to training camp, Titans defense won the majority of those days and he threw a bunch of picks and yada, yada. So it's like he was out there. He had practice against a really good defense. So kind of should have known what he was in for. And yeah, I mean, do I expect him to be better? I mean, it's hard to be worse, right? I think that's the best thing. I, I'm, I'm dead serious. because That's the best thing I can say about that because all this positivity, I'll be honest, you know, week one is a liar. Uh, he's going to be better than this. I, I'm not putting too much stock into all that because in all honesty, this was one of the worst passing offenses in the NFL last season. And that was the case for a 17 game season. And I saw nothing yesterday, yesterday, sorry, on Sunday. I didn't see anything to indicate that it's going to be significantly better in 2023. So save all the bullshit that week one's a liar, yada, yada, yada. They look exactly like the 2022 Titans. Yes, the sample size is small. We'll reevaluate maybe after four or five games. We'll get back to it. It is a long NFL season. I do get all that. I mean, I think back to 2019, and this isn't me trying to give you hope because I do not believe this is possible. But I think back to 2019, six games in, they were in the Joe Burrow sweepstakes, worst team in the NFL. I still have no idea how that team went to the AFC Championship game. I mean, I know it was a change of quarterback that did it for them, but you you didn't think that was possible. Hell, I think back to last year, different circumstances. Coming off that win against the Green Bay Packers, that was their best win of the season. Felt like they were starting to surge in the right direction. I didn't believe that they didn't win another game after that one. So I, I do get that it is a long and, and I didn't see any of those two things coming. 
just like I don't see this team being way better than it was on Sunday. So hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong. But until this passing offense gives me something to cling on to, uh, I'm not going to buy into any of the week one as a liar talk. Yeah, and, and I totally get that. And, you know, the last time the Titans scored 27 points or more in a game was that week 11 win against the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Since then, they've scored over 20 points just one time. That was week That's 14 crazy. in a double-digit loss to Jacksonville, 36-22. to 22. Their last five games now, the last four games of last season and the first game of this season, they have failed to score more than 16 points. Their highest point total over the last five games is 16 points. And obviously, last year, Ryan Tannehill played in one of those last four games and got knocked out before, you know, I think it was before halftime. And Malik Willis and Josh Dobbs finished the year as the quarterback. So you could kind of be like, well, they didn't score 16 points. They didn't score over 16 points in any of those four games. Because they didn't have their starting quarterback. Well, they had their starting quarterback on Sunday, and he was the reason they didn't score more than 15 points. Shout out to Nick Folk for going five for five, including casually just drilling a 50 yarder that, you yeah. know, didn't think awesome. that that was, <laughs> didn't think that was something that I expected to see two weeks ago. But obviously, Nick Folk being traded, like the trade for him, at, like at least the Titans are solid at kicker there. Solid They're debut need to for be. him. They're going to need to be. A lot of stalled and, drives coming. <laughs> remember Steven Goskowski's <laughs> debut with the Titans. Didn't he miss two field goals or maybe three field goals? Like this is a lot of different situation. Clearly. So at least Nick Folk is there. I want to talk about Tim Kelly and this new look offense, because what I just mentioned, not scoring more than they, 27 points was their season high last year. Didn't score 30 in a single game. Didn't score over 20 in the final six games, except for one, uh, once, I guess. And um, Tim Kelly comes in to replace Todd Downing. You think, okay, we got a new look offense. This offense is going to be better. And it was a little better, but the quarterback was so bad that I think it masked a lot of what Tim Kelly did well. Talk about those two plays that were wide open, schemed open, well done by Tim Kelly. But I also have some qualms with how he called this game, and I want to get into those more than praising him because I do think that he he did a pretty good job considering his quarterback couldn't find a target. But even so, some of the usage, usage stuff in this game was really puzzling to me. And I want to start with the first drive. So the Titans recover the ball, recover Amani Hooker in one fluid motion, tackles Rashid Shaheen and strips the ball and comes away with it and gets his knee down inbounds somehow before, uh, you know, maintains possession and gets his knee down before he rolls out of bounds. Incredible play. Titans start the game with the ball at the New Orleans 24-yard line. Derrick Henry's in the backfield. You're expecting something here with Derrick Henry. You're expecting the Titans, like, to capitalize on this turnover. Well, there's a false start on Trevon Wesco, of all people, who were, you know, excited to be better than Jeff Swaim. News, newsflash, he wasn't. PFF grade-wise, he wasn't. He was horrible, actually, in this game. Uh, can't wait for Thomas Otakoya to get promoted from the practice squad and replace his snaps because ne- Wesco was next bad. Next year, you mean? Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, if Wesco keeps being this bad, we'll see. But anyway, that's not the point. First and 15 now. Henry runs off the field. Tajay Spears runs onto the field. Titans have three straight pass attempts. Now, one of those was a Ryan Tannehill run, but it was a scramble, so it was a drop back that he ended up running on. How is this the case? You get the ball at the 24-yard line, and you don't give it to Derrick Henry a single time. In fact, he doesn't even record a snap on any of those three plays because of the false start. Doesn't count as a snap, so he wasn't even he was out there for one second and runs off the field. You get DeAndre Hopkins false starting on third and 13 because the Saints jumped off sides and neither Chris Hubbard nor Daniel Brunskill like did the thing that every lineman in the NFL does in 2023 where they just reach their hand up and tap the defensive lineman's helmet and draw the offsides penalty. DeAndre Hopkins tries to do that from the other side of the field. 
that's not going to fly. So that's obviously a penalty. I mean, I get what I don't blame Hopkins for that. It's the Titans offensive line's fault for not flinching and drawing the offsides. But anyway, it turns into third and 18. They lose eight yards on their first drive. Derrick Henry doesn't touch the ball. They end up with a field goal. That was a harbinger of things to come in this game because Derrick Henry ended up with less or should I say fewer snaps than Tajay Spears. Spears played 34 snaps. Henry played 30 snaps. DeAndre Hopkins played less snaps than Nick Westbrook-Akina. Chris Moore only played nine snaps. NWI played 51. Traylon Burks leads the team in, in uh, snaps on offense with or uh, the skill position group with snaps on offense at 57. Only accounts for three targets. That's largely on Tannehill. Like I mentioned, Burks was open. But what are we doing putting Taj? I get Tajay Spears, electric, exciting rookie player. This offense needs to run through Derrick Henry. The fact that he only had 15 carries and three targets. He had two catches for 56 yards. Use your best player. I don't care if it's third and long. Give the ball to Derrick Henry. Like this feels like Matt LaFleur with Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry all over again. Tajay Spears is a good player. He's way better than Deion Lewis. And he had some exciting plays in this game. He made a couple nice plays. But the overall theme here of not relying on your best player. This was Arthur Smith's best quality as a Titans offensive coordinator is they could be down two scores in the second half and they're still going to run Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry had drives under Arthur Smith where he accounted for every yard on the drive and finished with a touchdown. Like That's what the Titans needed to go back to, especially with Tannehill struggling. The fact that he had 40 dropbacks compared to 15 Derrick Henry carries, feel like Tim Kelly let this uh, game get away from him. Well, you said the number that I wanted to say, 40 dropbacks for Ryan Tannehill versus, I think, 18 or 19 total team carries, only 15 of which went to Derrick Henry. If you just read me those raw numbers, I would say to you, every Titans fan would say, well, the Titans lost by three scores. Titans lost by two scores. They had to go pass. They had to go pass heavy. I understand taking Henry off the field when it's passed, replacing him with Spears. He's a more dynamic pass catcher. I get that. And that should be the case if they're down 14, down 17 at times. I can understand abandoning the run in that situation. The fact that this was essentially a tie game all the way through, the Titans lost by one point. They were never down by what? More than the seven points they were down towards the end or whatever it was. The fact that that was the case, a close game the entire way, for which at, at points they had a lead. 15 carries for Derrick Henry. He averaged 4.2 yards per carry. Okay, it's not outstanding, but it's not bad. You keep running that in a close game. And guess what? He typically gets better in the second half. And I felt like they went away from him more in the second half than they did in the first. How many drives, especially I think there was one in the third quarter, he's not even on the field at all. How many times did they go empty formation? No running back at all. And whether that was Spears lined up out wide or Henry on occasion lined up out wide, no running back in the backfield. You know what? Newsflash, harsh reality. They are not good enough to tip pass like that. Right. They're just not. The Kansas City Chiefs can do that. They got Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. The Los Angeles Chargers can do that, who are coming to town, by the way. Justin Herbert can do that. Tennessee Titans cannot do that. They can't just go empty. You know why? Three problems with that. Every level of the offense, every level of the field, they don't have the quarterback to go empty. They can't pass protect to go empty, and they don't have the weapons at receiver to go empty. They can't go empty. There's no reason in a close game to go empty. There's no reason you're not good enough to tip pass. You can't go out there and say, hey, we're going to pass the ball, and there's nothing you can do to stop us. You know why? We're really good at stopping ourselves. 
You're probably going to give up a sack. You might throw an interception. You might get a holding call. There won't be separation. The quarterback's going to see ghosts and escape the pocket and rush for a yard. They can't go empty. No, they can't. And they did it way too often in this game. And just looking at the red zone usage, I want you to guess how many red zone carries Derrick Henry had. You know what? It's something I didn't track. So this is a good game. But shit, I'm trying. I'm having a hard time. One, two? Three. One was on a direct snap that he gained like two or three yards on. And yeah. one was a handoff that was one oh. of the most telegraphed plays in the game where he got dropped for a two-yard loss. Look, Derrick Henry has been the most successful and efficient red zone running back for the last four years. The Titans' red zone offense has been good for the last four years because they have Derrick Henry and they feed him in the red zone. When they took over with the ball at the 24-yard line and then became the 29-yard line because of a false start and they didn't go to Derrick Henry, I don't care if it's first and 15 at the 29-yard line. Give the ball to Derrick Henry. If you don't want to do it on first and 15, we get, we've talked a lot about too many early down runs. That's fine. Run a play action screen to Henry. Use Henry in some way. Run play action, not screen. Just get Henry involved so the defense has to account for him. You want, how many how many yards did Derrick Henry's first two carries go for when the Titans got the ball back the second time and finally did use him? He had two carries for 12 yards on his first two carries. You run the ball first and 15 and get six yards. You run the ball on second and nine and get six yards. It's third and three. It's not third and 18. So yeah, I get it. Like maybe that they don't have the same success in that situation in the red zone, whatever. But man, I just felt like they needed to rely on Derrick Henry with how much Ryan Tannehill was struggling. And Tim Kelly, a lot. this happens to a lot of play callers. I said it was the best thing Art Smith did was stick to the run. A lot of play callers will abandon the run when it's getting late in the ballgame and their offense isn't moving. You know, It felt like we need to hit a big play. We need to hit something down the field. So let's keep throwing the ball. But you got to take into account the fact that your quarterback is struggling as much as he did. Um, I don't have a huge qualm with NWI playing more snaps than Hopkins because... We know the coaching staff just trusts him so much to be in the right spot. He made a few really nice plays, especially on that final drive. Um, I would like to see Hopkins beat him out in snap counts, but it's not like Hopkins didn't play a lot. So overall, like my biggest qualm is that Henry didn't get the snaps or the touches that the Titans needed him to get in order to win this game. How many times, and I'm not here to defend Todd Downing, I never am, I never will, but how many times <laughs> have you heard me say, I want you to be honest with me on this podcast, when I said everyone wants a more well-bounced offense, they're not good enough throwing the football to just throw the football with regularity. People, I get it. You need to be a well-bounced offense to compete in today's NFL. But you know, Graver, how many times have I said, even weeks ago I said, they were what they were last year, predictable, Henry-based because they're not good enough to do anything else. Because how many times would they drop back to pass last year, especially, and you'd get a holding call or you'd get inconsistent quarterback play or separation from the receivers is an issue. That it was the same thing we saw yesterday. This is what you wanted, right? You want them to be more pass happy, yada, yada. At times they're not good enough to be that. And maybe they will be. Tannehill will be a little bit better. Maybe once they rely on Derrick Henry, it'll open up more opportunities and play action, and maybe they'll hit some of those opportunities. There is a chance to be better than they were on Sunday. I'm not saying it's impossible because, as I said, it's going to be tough to be as bad as he was. Again, it's not easy, right? Like, But they're simply, at times, they are not good enough to abandon the run and just pretend to be some pass-happy offense. It's not what they are. Yeah, we want. We were all excited for this new look offense that would throw the ball more on early downs, but we were still expecting a balanced offense. And Tim Kelly even said he'd be foolish to not have the offense revolve around Henry. Well, Tim Kelly, you were foolish on Sunday. That's all I got to say on that point. Let's talk about Mike Vrabel and, and a couple really interesting decisions that have sparked some debate 
The first one was declining a holding penalty uh, that would have set up a Saints third and 11. Instead, um, just going with the play that's that happened and allowing the Saints to kick a 52-yard field goal with their rookie kicker. Now, personally, I don't have too much to say about this one. I thought it was interesting. I think I probably would have preferred the Titans put the Saints in third and 11. But of course, with the way that the, the Derek Carr was completing passes on third and long in this game, there's not mm-hmm. uh, not a low chance that the Saints would have just converted that third and 11 and then ended up with more than a field goal on the drive. But I kind of felt in the moment like Mike Vrabel was like, a 52-yard field goal? Nobody can make that. Let's make them kick it. <laughs> because the <laughs> Titans haven't had a kicker that they can comfortably rely on to make a 52-yard field goal, basically in his entire coaching tenure. I'll say this about that call. In the moment, I did feel a little weird about it, that he declined the penalty instead of taking the third and long. But the more I, I've had time to think about it, I, it's not as big of a deal that as I originally thought. Because as you said... I thought Carr made a ton of third and long completions in this game, or at least it sort of felt that way when he needed to get one, he got them a couple of times and they did a good job, you know, scheming Chris Olave open in those situations. And he's a tough assignment. And Michael Thomas had a good game. Juan Johnson had a good game. So I I didn't hate the decision to take the fourth down when I had time to think about it. In fact, you know, what sort of tells me that it was the right decision by Vrabel is that when the saints trotted out their field goal kicker in that situation, I thought it was the wrong call by Dennis Allen. I'm like, wow, I, I'm never down to attempt a 52-yard field goal as opposed to trying to get a conversion on fourth and two. Now, with that said, I don't want to be too harsh on, on Coach Allen because kudos to him. He knows his kicker better than I do. And hell, the kicker went out there and drilled it. And with that said, the Titans have great you know, down-and-distance defense, especially fourth and short. We've seen that throughout the years. Saints couldn't run the ball in this game very well, so maybe he felt there was a better chance for them to make the field goal than it was to convert it. But initially, I, I questioned Coach Allen's decision, but hey, the kicker went out there and drilled it. So I don't, I'm don't. i with you. I don't have too many qualms about the decision to decline a third-down penalty. Well, speaking of thinking your chances are, are better to make a field goal than pick up a fourth-down conversion – the biggest decision in this game that Mike Vrabel made was to kick the field goal on fourth and six with two minutes and 17 seconds left, all three timeouts, cut it to a one-point game, cut it to a all-we-need-is-a-field-goal-to-win-now game versus needing a touchdown on a day where your offense has not shown any proclivity to score a touchdown or to be able to score a touchdown. I get where Mike Vrabel was coming from, but I still think it was the wrong decision. You're asking an offense that has struggled to move the ball to not only make a field goal, which, you know, a lot of times coaches just assume that we, we take the points. There's no such thing as just taking the points. You still have to execute the field goal. Titans had already allowed a blocked punt on special teams in this game. But regardless, Nick Folk did make the field goal. But then you're asking your defense to get a stop. You're asking the Saints. You're relying basically on the Saints to not be aggressive. You're, you're counting on the Saints to do, Mike Vrabel, what you would do in this scenario, which is run the ball three times in a row no matter what. And the Saints didn't run the ball three times in a row. They had a really creative run play that they picked up a first down on that got called back for a hold. Then they threw the ball deep down the field against the cornerback who had already come out of the game with a hamstring injury (laughs) that uh, they completed that big pass because they had the balls to go for that and to go for the win and not play scared and scared to lose. So anyway, you're asking your defense to get that stop that they didn't get. And then you're asking your offense to drive back down the field into a, a makeable field goal range. And then you're asking your kicker, who's already made five kicks, and that may be seen as a good thing, but hey, law of averages and law of large numbers say that eventually 
Nick Folk's going to miss a kick at some point. Now, I don't think he would have missed the potential game winner, depending on the distance, because he would seem to be dialed in. He's a good kicker. He's basically automatic from inside 40 yards. But you're, you're counting on a punt to not go poorly, to not have a penalty on the punt return that puts your offense back even further, and then to be able to drive 50 to 60 yards to get into field goal range on a day where a you can't throw the so, ball right? like a, in a minute, minute, minute with half. with expecting no to have zero, t- zero timeouts because you got to use all of them to get the ball back. You have the two-minute warning in there. Gives you a little leeway. Maybe you have one timeout. Versus converting one play for six yards where you've already had a couple of defensive holding penalties on the Saints. You had one on that drive three plays before that that gave you an automatic first down. You have the chance to pick up a penalty on the defense to give you an automatic first down. You're, uh, what, 20 yards from the end zone, 17 yards from the end zone. So even if you like, you can pick up six yards, you could have scored a touchdown on that play. Even if you don't get it, you're at the 17-yard line. Unless you take a sack, the Saints are starting with the ball inside their 17 that's going to be worse field position than they get after you kick up a kickoff after the field goal and yeah you still need a touchdown if you fail to convert that fourth and six versus just needing a field goal but at that point in the game i don't know man i i would have gone for that fourth and six like come up with your best play that can gain you six yards put deandre hopkins in the slot get a mismatch and get him open over the middle of the field like you got to have a play for that situation and uh the Titans counted on their defense getting them the ball back. Hey, the defense had played well throughout the game. I get the logic. I think it was a little bit closer than what the analytics models would show you, which was like a 20 or 30% change in win probability. Like, I think it was a closer decision than that. But I still think you got to go for that versus like you're asking your defense to get a stop either way. You're asking your offense to go score again either way. Go for fourth and six and try to get in the end zone when you're 17 yards away versus trying to do it all over again uh, with less time, with no timeouts against a defense that had also played very well that entire game. Yeah, I I agree that it was the wrong decision, and I'm going to talk about it. The the one part where I disagree with you only slightly, even though I get what you're saying, is the early part of what you said where you're still counting on your kicker to go out there and make that first kick and taking no such thing as taking the points. You got to execute It's a 29 yard field goal. I, I can understand why he felt like he was going to make that field goal, right? 29 yards. But, um, but I do think they should have gone for it there on fourth and fourth and six. I think it was the wrong decision. Um, I, I can get why he, you're putting more trust on the defense and the offense based on what you've seen throughout that game. But with that said, you had sort of driven down the field. As you said, you'd got a holding penalty, felt like the Saints were a little bit on their heels. You, you got away with some lucky ones, as you said. Felt like Tannehill should have thrown two or three interceptions on that drive. <laughs> but, hey, it worked out your way. You were driving. You were nearly in the red zone. Uh, I can't 17 remember yard exactly, line. But 17 yard line. So you're in the red zone. Uh, it's fourth and six. Look, you, you've got to go for it. And, look, I'm going to be pessimistic again. Do I have faith they would have converted? No, I don't. <laughs> in all honesty, I don't. But I, I think you've got to go for it. You, you can't – I'm not going to count on being – I don't care if you got your three timeouts, two-minute warning. 2.15 left, like I'm not counting on my chances of getting the ball back. Yeah. I've got to go win it right now. You're at the 17-yard line. Okay, it wasn't fourth and fifth – even though I don't think they would have converted. It wasn't fourth and 15, right? It's fourth and six, like – it's very, it's you know, yeah, it's not fourth and three, but it's not four and ten either, right? It's it's four and six. It's a very convertible, very makeable down in distance, right? Like, 
You got it. You've at that point in the game, you've got to go for it. And don't you feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, because I can't point out any examples specifically, but don't you feel like this has happened so many times where the Titans defense has played very well throughout the course of a game. The offense lets them down. So they decide to rely on the defense at the end of the game, but they just can't come up with that final stop that they need. It's happened before. I know it has. It has happened before. I know it has, but I'll give you some real world examples, not of the Titans. It, uh, I can't remember. I saw a tweet about this. So I can't remember the exact specifics. I think it was like in the last ten years, there have been thirteen teams in this situation who have a fourth and fourth down attempt and decide to take the points and relying on their ability to get a stop and get the ball back and go score again. Twelve of those teams, thirteen teams decided to kick a field goal in this situation. Twelve right. of those teams lost. One of those teams was actually able to get the stop, get the ball back, get more points, and it was the Lions winning in overtime. So they didn't even do it in regulation. They had to rely on overtime where they would have had to either win a coin toss or get another stop. So it's just like history tells you it was a bad idea. Analytics tell you it was a bad idea. And the final result of the game where they did not get the ball back, which hindsight is twenty twenty, but tells you that it was a a bad idea. So nothing points to that being the right call analytically or historically. But Mike Vrabel is not necessarily a guy who in those moments relies on analytics. He relies on his gut. And again, I do fully understand the logic. Your defense has been playing well. Instead of needing a touchdown after this, you will only need a field goal. Like, I get it, but it's still, it's not enough to sway me to think that he made the right decision. The last thing I'll say about it is there was no part of me that thought the Saints were going to get that ball back and go into a conservative shell and run it three times in a row and punt the ball back. Derek Carr had a lot, you know, a fair amount of success throwing the football in this game. And I didn't have a ton of faith in the Titans secondary to prevent it. And I was right because they came out of the gate essentially and got like a 30 yard completion down the field almost immediately. Right. They went Mm -hmm. aggressive fairly quickly. I go, they're not going to run it three times. Why? They can't really cover them. They're not doing a great job covering them. Unless the pass rush gets home immediately, Derek Carr is going to complete a pass. They're going to pick up a first down, and they're going to be able to run out this clock. And that's essentially exactly what happened. We yeah. spent a lot of time on the offensive side of the ball. I think we should switch over to the defensive side of the ball. This episode's already running fairly long. 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be pessimistic right away. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Can I say something about the secondary the yeah. defense? 30th ranked secondary last year, right? Passing yards per game. I admit, I don't think they were the 30th, you know, I don't think they were the third worst secondary in the league last year. That's my opinion. They were better than the numbers indicate, in my opinion, right? They were so good running the football last year. You know, teams abandoned the, uh, sorry, they were so good defending the run last year. Teams often abandoned the run, went to pass, and they they had a lot of success. I don't think they were as awful as the numbers indicated, but they weren't great, right? There's a reason they allowed, uh, you know, the third most passing yards per game last year. I think it was like 280 or something like that. Who are their two most injury-prone starters in the second game? Amani Hooker and Christian Fulton. Christian Fulton goes down with a hamstring in this game, only ends up playing like 20, 25 snaps. Amani Hooker is now in concussion protocol. I get that's not something you can always control. It, you know, In football, that's going to happen. But those are their two most injury-prone defenders in the secondary. Both of them are already hurt. Yeah. Do you have any faith in the depth behind them? No Christian Fulton next Sunday potentially means a lot of Elijah Molden, who was awful in this game, and potentially a decent amount of Kendall Vildor, who's not great, right? And if there's no Amani Hooker, then you're probably getting Mike Brown, who we know almost nothing about outside of a couple of decent performances in training camp in the preseason, probably not an NFL starting caliber safety, right? Especially when you're playing against good NFL offenses. This defense played really well on Sunday, right? Generally speaking, and this team could still not get a win. 
when they are not as good as they were on Sunday, imagine how much worse it's going to look. Because when these guys start going down with injury, Christian Fulton, Amani Hooker, I already don't have a ton of faith in the secondary when they're all healthy because they give up some things. They're better than they were last year, slightly, in my opinion, right? They should be when they're all healthy because Sean Murphy bunting is going to make a bit of a difference. Year two, Roger McCurry should be a bit better. They're still not, don't fool yourself, they're not a shutdown secondary, right? They're not an elite secondary. There are going to be opportunities there, just like Derek Carr took advantage of a lot of those opportunities on Sunday. It's going to get worse when some of these guys start missing time, which they will. You already saw it on Sunday with Fulton and Hooker. They're already banged up. You think they're getting through the next 17 games unscathed? You think some of those, like, this defense did some heavy lifting on Sunday. They still lost this game. They're not always going to be able to do the type of heavy lifting that they did because this secondary is probably going to, again, miss guys with injury. It's going to get harder and harder as the year goes on. To me, I got a ton of faith in the pass rush. When we talk about this defense, I think of the pass rush in the front seven, in all honesty. I don't think as much about the secondary. Even though I love Kevin Byard, still think he's a superstar, love Amani Hooker, I, I don't have a ton of faith in the secondary. I think it's league average at best. Yeah, and I won't disagree with that. I will say, I think Carr played a really good game. I think the receivers for New Orleans played a really good game. And they had some plays where they broke the Titans' defensive rules down and got guys running free wide open that... Maybe it was a coverage bust or maybe it was just a, a conflict where the, the offense is going to win if the quarterback makes the right read and delivers an on-target throw. So I, I agree with mostly what you're saying. At the same time, they only allowed 16 points in a game where their own offense couldn't score really to save their lives. And uh, I, I hear what you're saying, though. I do think like the positive takeaway from this game is the defense's performance and particularly oh, for sure. particularly the front line and the front seven. Look, a great defensive line in football can be a cheat code. It can cover up poor secondary play. It can cover up backups having to play because the guys get injured. And for the first half of the game, they did that. That's that's why the Titans were successful on defense in the first half, because they were getting insane amounts of pressure. Arden Key, uh, according to PFF, Arden Key had eight pressures. Danico Autry had seven pressures. Arden Key was the highest player in the next-gen stats pass rush win rate of anyone that played edge on Sunday. Arden Key was phenomenal in this game. Jeffrey Simmons was double and triple teamed on almost every snap. Still managed to get at one and a half sacks in this game. Made an impact in the run in run defense as well. Danico Autry, I just mentioned, played really well. Harold Landry was not great in this game. He wasn't terrible, but coming back from that torn ACL, first real game action outside of a preseason game. Expect him to be maybe a little slow to get going, but I thought overall the defensive line played so well that they covered up for any miscues in the back end in the first half. Then in the second half, the Saints switched up their their pass blocking strategy. They were chipping key at almost every pass pass attempt with tight ends and running backs out of the backfield. They were giving their offensive line more help, especially Trevor Penning, who really struggled in this game. We mentioned how that was going to be a key matchup, and it was. And look, Arden Key should have had an additional strip sack fumble return for a touchdown by Kevin Byard. We haven't touched on this yet. The officials really got this call wrong. Everyone who who knows anything about football has watched this play. Dean Blandino put out a video on Twitter today. Uh, um, the Mike Pereira was saying it during the game on Sunday. Uh, th- this was a horrible call to rule this a fumble, to review it and uphold it as a fumble after Mike Vrabel's challenge. I can't believe, especially as a Titans fan, after we watched what happened to Josh Dobbs in Week 18 last year, it was the same play. The ball gets knocked loose as before the quarterback begins his throwing motion. He's still got a little grip on it. He's touching it, and he pushes it forward. It's a clear fumble. 
the referees are instructed to not blow this play dead if it's even a, a coin toss or if it's even questionable whether it could be incomplete or a fumble. You don't blow the play dead. The refs totally screwed this up by blowing it dead. Should have been a Kevin Byer touchdown. It wasn't. I don't think that that's why the Titans lost. I just want to say that. I think that that Me was too. early early enough in the game, o- over seven minutes left in the second quarter still, it would have totally impacted how the Saints played the fourth quarter when they weren't even trying to score at the end of the game, and they probably could have if they wanted to. I mean, they got down into field goal range when they started taking a knee, so they could have scored more points there. Obviously, it would have taken three points off the board and given seven to the Titans if it was officiated correctly. Even if it was just upheld after review, it would have given the Titans the ball and taken three points off the board for the Saints. But what was the Titans offense going to do in that situation? They were going to go three and out and punt the ball away anyway, and the Saints were going to go score. So, <laughs> no, I'm kidding around a little bit. But I just want to be like, let's not blame the officials for this loss. They missed a DPI mm-hmm. on Tannehill's deep interception to Chris Moore, but they also missed a very obvious DPI against the Titans on a deep ball to Alave. Yep. So like, it kind of goes both ways. I do think the Titans got a little more screwed, but not enough that we can blame the loss on that. But I just wanted to say Arden Key's stat line would have looked even more incredible if he had been credited with a sack, a strip sack forced fumble on that play in addition to everything else that he did. Yeah, I thought Arden Key was exceptional. Can't say enough good things about him. Fully lived up to the hype that he's been garnering all summer long. On the missed call, I agree with you. I'm not going to blame the loss on it. It it is obviously a, a terrible missed call. I think the craziest thing about it is I was so mad that they, you know, blew the whistle and didn't call, you know, a touchdown essentially because of the blown whistle. They didn't officiate it correctly. But throughout that entire process, never did it even cross my mind that it wouldn't at least be ruled a fumble, right? Like when they were reviewing that, my mindset was, you know, they're going to call this a fumble, but damn, they messed it up by blowing the whistle early. When they came back and held up incomplete pass, I mean, I was just astonished that they they didn't call the fumble. And I'll tell you what, you probably, I know you don't watch a lot of soccer, Graver, and, and, and VAR has been very controversial. The introduction of VAR into soccer over these last couple of years, it's instant replay, right? Soccer never had instant replay in case you don't know. Now they do through VAR and people get frustrated with the offsides because they'll call a guy offside if he's a centimeter offside, even though there's no advantage gained. I'm not going to get into all of that. But one thing I will say that soccer's done really well implementing VAR and it's similar. And that's the reason it comes to mind for me is nowadays, even when an offside looks somewhat obvious in soccer, they are not calling it. They're letting the play progress. See if a goal is scored. Cause guess what? The same way the NFL should be doing it. Cause you could always lean on VAR and check after the fact. And I really like that soccer's doing that because instead of, doing exactly what the NFL did yesterday where you, maybe you call an offside, it's incorrect, and you take away a goal-scoring opportunity. You let the play happen, and you know what? Even though we're fairly confident it's offside, we're going to let it play out because we have the luxury of instant replay now. We'll look at it and then make the correct call. That's the best way to call the game. Let it play out. It removes the human error element out of live-action play. Let it play out. You can rely on uh, on video instant replay right after it so that's the way soccer is doing it now and i like it and that's the way football should be doing it and if they had done that on sunday times would have had a touchdown on that play yeah and i just think that the thing that drives me crazy isn't that this call went against the titans because i do get the idea that like the call that is called on the field has to be clear and obvious to overturn i do think it was still clear and obvious that the ball was not free of Derek carr's hand before beginning the throwing motion But all that aside, all we're looking for is consistency. You know, if Josh Dobbs gets ruled an incomplete pass last year, then sure, today should have or Sunday should have been an incomplete pass. 
If Josh yeah. Dobbs is ruled as a fumble last year, then this has to be a fumble. Mike Vrabel talked about this in his press conference. He said, one week it's going to be a fumble. Next week it'll be an incomplete pass. The week after that it'll be a fumble. That's just how it goes. You got to play the game the way that you like it's dealt to you. You can't control what you can't control. And ultimately that's a great attitude to have and a no excuses approach is, is going to benefit the team in the long run. But man, it's just frustrating as a fan to the inconsistency is just kills you. And that's exactly why I'm not complaining about the DPI or the would-be DPI on the Chris Moore deep ball, the deep shot, because you said it. I appreciate that it was called consistently when they had the downfield passing attempt to Chris Olave, the Saints did later in the game. We're trying to be fair here. At least it was called consistently. Now, I have no faith that'll be the case throughout the year, right? We'll see a couple that they should have called, a couple that they didn't. But at least in this game, they called or didn't call DPI. with. They're both DPI, in my opinion, but at least they were called with consistency. That's the difference between a Dobbs one fumble and this fumble. Also, what the heck? The NFL is supposed to hate the Saints. They always have calls go against them. Now they <laughs> want to change their mind. Give me a break, man. Uh, I'm joking. But um, no one will ever forget that what was a 2017 NFC Championship game when the Saints receiver just got absolutely crushed way before the ball arrived with no flag. And it led to pass interference being a reviewable play for a, for a season. Um, yeah, that, that, that did happen. So whatever. It is what it is. Uh, the, the calls didn't go the Titans way. Nothing went the Titans way. But I, I am encouraged by the defensive performance overall, especially the guys up front. I think they're going to wreak havoc on offenses all season long. And uh, the Titans, what they'll have to do going forward is look at how the Saints were able to block them in the second half. Four, four first half sacks for the Titans, zero second half sacks. That I've told you the Saints made adjustments. They they brought extra guys into the protection. Titans are going to have to find ways to get to the quarterback when teams adjust because teams are going to adjust and teams may not have to adjust because they'll look at the tape of the second half of this game and they'll try to copy some of the things that, that the Saints did to keep the Titans pass rushers at bay. So the Titans have to come up with a solution for that, whether that's like bringing an extra pass rusher on the field and lining him up in that Joker role. You know what? what everyone's probably seen the Miles Garrett clip by now of him doing the AI crossover before the snap. Like, Harold Landry played in that spot a lot in the 2021 season before his injury. He didn't do that a lot in this game. Um, it was sort of the Jadeveon Clowney role that that when Mike Vrabel was the defensive line coach in Houston with Clowney that they had a lot of success with. It's going to be something like that or simulated pressure where you put six guys on the line of scrimmage and only four or three of them rush. Um, so the Titans will have answers for that. They didn't do it in the second half of Sunday's game. Probably felt like they didn't need to because in the first half they were getting pressure so easily. They will have to make adjustments. Overall, though, I, I think that this defense is going to be able to carry the Titans through a lot of games and, and be able to keep games close. But you've got to be better on offense. Ryan Tannehill has to be better. Derrick Henry has to get the ball more. Tim Kelly was okay in his first play game as play call-out for the Titans. He's got to be better, though. He's got to get his personnel usage right. Mike Vrabel said that Derrick Henry's fourth quarter usage in this game would likely be an outlier, which tells me that Mike Vrabel probably wasn't too happy about it either. Like, we all know Mike Vrabel. Is a Mike Vrabel dream game to drop back 40 times and hand it off at 18 no mike Vrabel doesn't yeah. want to play football like that close game. <laughs> in a, in a, in a game, game that was the titans were either leading by three tied or trailing by four that was the widest margin for the whole game and th- this is still the outcome so i don't think we're going to see that very much going forward and uh they'll make adjustments I don't think this means the Titans are going to go 0 and 17. I don't think it means that they can go 16 and 1 either. I don't know if it's a 12 and 5 season. Remember where the Titans got blown out by Arizona, finished the year 12 and 5 with the number 1 seed in the AFC? I don't expect that to be the case this year, 
but it is week one. You don't want to be at your best in week one. You want to be at your worst in week one and get better as the season progresses and be at your best in week 18 and when the playoffs arrive. So that's my positive spin on this is that it is only week one. Titans have a lot of time to get better. They didn't come out of this game with too many serious injuries. You mentioned the Christian Fulton hamstring, the Imani Hooker concussion. Those are definitely things to watch, but no major injuries that that will, will derail the rest of the season. No Browns lost Jack Conklin for the year. Uh, Steelers, are, Cam Hayward's having surgery. Like, There's a lot of teams across the league that, that had big-time injuries. There was injuries all over the league. And even uh, in a game where your quarterback throws three interceptions and can't seem to, to find an open receiver to save his life, they still lost by one point to a pretty good Saints team. This isn't the Giants. We're not the Giants losing 40 to nothing. We're not the Bears losing big to their division rival Packers who were supposed to have a down year. We're not the Seahawks who lost big to their division rival Rams who are supposed to be competing for the number one pick. Like there are worse situations around the league. I don't know if that makes you feel any better because it's like whatever 30 teams don't go to the Super Bowl every season and uh, being the 30th best or the first best that doesn't go to the Super Bowl isn't really much of a consolation. But anyway, all that to say, the the former Niners players on the Titans were talking about this after the game. I'm talking about Daniel Brunskill, Aziz Elshire. They lost week one to a three, eventually three and 14 Bears team last season and went to the NFC Championship. Week one is a liar. And I know you said that you're not necessarily buying it and that Tannehill's terrible and maybe that's just the case. Hey, maybe it is. And if it is the case, I think it's a win-win for the Titans. Either Tannehill rebounds and they compete this year or Tannehill's terrible. They bench him by, by the time the bye rolls around. You figure out if Malik Willis or Will Levis is your guy. If either of them play well enough, you know you got your quarterback of the future. If both of those guys suck too, then you're in the Caleb Williams, Drake May, Quinn Ewers, uh, Michael Penix. Oh, uh, this is a huge QB class. You don't even have to be the worst team in the league to have a shot at one of those guys. Or maybe you feel like Will Levis is your, your quarterback of the future and you end up with the number three overall pick and you draft Marvin Harrison Jr. Like, it's a win-win. Either the Titans are going to suck this year and get a great draft pick, or they're going to rebound and everything's going to be fine. So that's kind of where I'm at after week one. Not panicking. I don't let my emotions bleed into my sports fandom anymore because it's just too uh, draining and exhausting when when you let the, uh, the outcome of your favorite sports team affect your mood for the rest of the day. So it is what it is, and the Titans will not have a game. I don't think, I don't think it's possible for them to have a worse game from Ryan Tannehill this year. I could be proven wrong, but I think that it's all up. It's all up from here, right? Even if they lose worse to the Chargers, I don't think it's going to be because Ryan Tannehill played this poorly again. Yeah, I, I kind of can get why you say he may not be this poor, because I, when I think of the three interceptions and the missed open touchdowns, it's hard for him to be worse. But as I said earlier, I wouldn't be shocked if the offense in general has some very, very similar rough outings. Yeah, I agree. But they'll also have some good outings, and it's just a matter of playing at your best when the playoffs come around, win the division. I will say the Colts did not look great. Ryan Tannehill had a higher EPA per dropback than Trevor Lawrence on Sunday. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, I'm not buying into whatever the hell that is because I saw Trevor Lawrence throw some dimes, and he threw a gorgeous touchdown, escaped the pocket, mm-hmm. made some plays. So I don't know if Tannehill did that once. So yeah. whatever. I agree. No, I agree. But um, the point is, like, it's a long season. The Jags defense is not good. And perhaps if the Titans win the division, that's all it takes. And they can play their best football when the playoffs come. Look, I'm just looking for positive spins because this was a horrible game. They only lost by one point, but it felt like they lost by three touchdowns because they just couldn't score on offense. And it was really bad. They should have scored on defense, but the the ref said, no, you're not going to do that. 
Anyway, anything, any other takeaways from this game we need to hit before we say goodbye? We've been going for almost an hour. Cool. And we'll be back next. We'll be back later this week with uh, a preview with the Chargers. We got a great guest coming on, so we'll preview that game, flush this one, as Mike Vrabel likes to say, and get on to the next one in a couple days here. Yeah, exactly. So thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel, the Music City Audible. Follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. And as Justin said, we will be back later this week with a Chargers preview, and I might drop a couple other videos just looking at some aspects from this game. We'll see what my schedule looks like uh, as I try to do that. All right, that is all. Until later, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.